everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith, and I'm here to bring you the weekend warm-up. It's BFW's podcast to go over all the big news and events of the week. As always, we had another crazy week. It was topped off, of course, by Bayern Munich winning a 10th consecutive Bundesliga title, but there was so much more that happened. In fact, so much that I could probably talk for four or five hours, but who would actually listen to that? So we won't be doing that. But we will hit on those five things that we learned this week. And we'll dive right into it because the first thing that we learned was Bayern Munich, of course, 10th consecutive title in the Bundesliga. Very successful in terms of winning the league and doing it in a very authoritative manner. But let's just take a look at what it actually means. So first off, from a fan satisfaction perspective, I think that most people are not quite satisfied with how things played out this season. Of course, if you're only winning the Bundesliga and you're crapping out of the Pokal, you're getting upset in the Champions League. A lot of people had some harsh and bitter feelings about how this has all played out. The first thing we should really talk about, though, is having some sort of appreciation for what Bayern Munich has been able to do for 10 years running and what kind of accomplishment that is. Now, despite the fact people are a little unhappy, being able to win the league in this manner is impressive. And this was a good season for Bayern Munich. It wasn't great, and we'll get into that in a second. But to be able to win the league is always an accomplishment, and it should be celebrated. And I know that there was a really a mixed reaction on social media about you know, celebrating and how important or really how valuable winning the title was. But I would say in any circumstance, when you win a championship, no matter what level it is, it should be celebrated. It is an accomplishment for the team. It was an accomplishment for the coach. It was his first Bundesliga title. I'm sure this is a a big deal for Julian Nagelsmann. It's a big deal for the club to get 10 in a row. But this is a big, big accomplishment for the players. The fact that they were able to battle through so many things, so many injuries, illnesses, a little bit of... uh, you know, an acclimation period and getting used to a new manager, being able to rebound after losing a a record setting manager. I think that the boys in the locker room did their jobs this season in terms of going out and accomplishing the goal of winning the league. And as the club will always say, that is first and foremost at the top of the list of what Bayern Munich wants to accomplish each and every season. So kudos to Bayern Munich for winning a league. It should have been celebrated If you were really that bitter about it and you were still angry from the Champions League debacle, I do get that too. But I think you just at this point need to accept what happened, move on and celebrate that Bayern Munich did accomplish at least something this year. Okay, I mean, it's not exactly what everyone wanted, but it is a a good thing for the club, a great thing for the team, the players were able to come together and get it done. and, And that is worthy of a celebration. Now, Let's just touch a little bit on why people are feeling a little bit bitter. And as we know, when, when you get blown out of the DFB Pokal by Borussia Mönchengladbach in the manner that Bayern Munich was, that's a, that's a bitter pill to swallow. Getting upset by Villarreal in the Champions League quarterfinals is, is also extremely tough. And for the people that, that haven't quite gotten over that yet, like I said, I, I get it. And I understand that you you feel unfulfilled. You feel like there are a lot of question marks and there are about this club moving forward. Uh, But that's natural. This is in any way you want to slice it. This is really a transitional period for the club. You've got so many players 
that are nearing the end. And I should say so many important players, because when you look at players like Thomas Muller and Manuel Neuer and Robert Lewandowski, I mean, these are, these are all-time great players, legendary players within the club. And right now, those players are really at a stage where, you know, they're winding their careers down. And while each of them has a lot to offer, um, you know, I think that this whole period and this, this section of time with the club, Julian Nagelsmann has to carefully balance how to work with those players continue to get the best out of them as they start to slow down and, and develop the younger players and hand off the baton to those players in their prime, like Joshua Kimmich and Leon Goretzka, along with some emerging players like Alfonso Davies and Jamal Musiala. So when we, when we sit back after the season and we look at what was successful and what wasn't, I think we'll overall say this was a successful campaign, but it could have been, so much better. And and I think that's right. I think this team did have the potential to do much, much more. It just didn't work. And there are a variety of reasons for that. Like I said, there was an acclimation period with the coach. There's still some of that going on is not everyone is thrilled with the coach's tactics. And of course, at, at different periods of the season, you lost key players to injuries. And I know that happens every year, but when that happens, uh, as much as it did in the second half of the season. And it took some of those players a while to get back. And clearly players like Alfonso Davies and Leon Gretzka, you know, they came in and they fought extremely hard, but it, you'd be really hard pressed to say that either player was really operating at a hundred percent throughout even the champions league tie. So I'll take the win. I will take the Bundesliga title, but I do acknowledge there are a lot of questions moving forward. And those questions will probably carry our discussion throughout the summer when the game action ends. I'm sure we will be dissecting every bit of this season and looking at what could go wrong moving forward, what could go right moving forward. So we will definitely have all of that on the agenda, but you know, lighten up, have some fun with this. Byron did win and let's enjoy the next couple of weeks here as Byron looks to close out its season, probably giving some younger players and some lesser used players too a little more playing time than what we had seen in the buildup to this. So congrats to Bayern Munich on yet another league title. The second thing we learned this week is there are a lot of good things going on with the Robert Lewandowski negotiations and a lot of bad things too. So I couldn't sit here and recap the literally dozens of stories and dozens of pieces of information that have dropped the most recent thing that we can say is that Pini Zahavi is, is in Munich. He met with Bayern Munich extensively on Thursday. And he, the discussions really cent, centered around what the club expects, what the player expects, and what the realities are. And right now it looks like Bayern Munich is, is leaning more toward uh, a shorter-term contract with Lewandowski. Uh, you know, Lewandowski is 33 He'll be 34 in August. Obviously, in my mind, one of the best players in the world right now, if not the worst player. I mean, best, <laughs> worst player. Wow. Best player. Uh, you know, he obviously is, is in that upper echelon of, of people on earth that play this game. Okay. I mean, there's no doubt if, if he were to leave, it would be an immense hole that could not be filled. But I think what we're learning is that, Bayern Munich is not going to just sell him. And there are a couple of reasons for that. 
Now we can look at FC Barcelona and how much they want to offer. And, you know, we've seen 30 million, anywhere from 30 million to 40 million, 35 being the key number that most recently Barca has said they won't exceed. But if you look at the value of Lewandowski and what he can help the team accomplish, not just on the pitch, but, you know, to the ledgers, Lewandowski is worth more than that just by participating in the Champions League with the team next season. So I think when Bayern goes to really count all of their pennies here and do their squad planning, they're going to make Lewandowski a competitive offer. Will that be for one year with an option? Will it be with two year? Will it be for two years with an option? Starting to think that we're going to see that all the offer of a one-year extension with the potential for a one-year option, which would carry him through the 2025 season. And I think that's the most logical way to go for both Bayern Munich and Lewandowski. But the player, of course, I mean, Lewandowski's a smart guy. Zahavi is a smart guy. They know that Lewandowski at, at soon to be 34 is not going to be all that attractive to many other teams just because of his age. It doesn't matter about his form. Uh, I mean, quite frankly, he's a freak, right? There aren't many players that could keep this level up at his current age of 33. Um, so when you when you look at how he's performed and you look at what kind of impact he still makes, you would still say the guy is is worthy. He deserves minimum of two years, right? But Bayern Munich is also approaching this from a long-term perspective. They have to plan moving forward what is best for the club and to to have to pay Lewandowski what he wants which is rumored to be about 30 million euro per season it it might be okay next year it might even be okay the following season but when you get to that third year paying that much money to a player who could be I'm not going to use the term washed up but he could be slowing down could be very detrimental to the squad could be detrimental to the budget and let's not forget that Lewandowski is not a happy-go-lucky guy, right? He is a a bit um, high maintenance, and I say that in a in a loving manner because you have to admire everything about the guy from his work ethic to how he interacts with his teammates to what he puts forth on the pitch, right? Everything about him is great, but he is a little sensitive, and I think we've seen a lot of that come out in the discussions around what is going on with his contract negotiations. He's been very sensitive about the club's rumored interest in Erling Haaland, which we'll talk about in a minute. He's been very sensitive about his role in Julian Nagelsmann's offense. And I think that, you know, these are legit concerns if you're a player like Lewandowski. Why would a club want Haaland if I am currently the best player in the world and I'm scoring at an unbelievable rate? Why isn't the coach putting me in better positions to get balls near the net so I can score? I'm the best scorer of the team. These are legit concerns from Lewandowski. So while... Byron may be focused on his age and what it's going to have to pay him as a potential new deal moves forward. Lewandowski is worried about not just his salary, not just the length of his contract, but how he'll be used, the role he'll have. And if the club is looking to bring in someone to not be his understudy, but to really just work alongside him. And, um, you know, not every uh, mentor slash apprentice relationship works out. And you could point to a, a million different uh, examples of that in any sport. I think most famously people look at the Green Bay Packers with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers and the frosty relationship they had when they were together in Green Bay that really did not improve until Brett Favre retired. And I think in, in some ways Favre probably resented Rodgers and Rodgers probably resented the way that Favre treated him as well. So uh, I don't think that 
Bayern wants to engage in that by attempting to have both Holland and Lewandowski on the roster at the same time, as much as I would be a fan of, of that happening, I'm just not sure that Bayern Munich wants that to be the way things play out. So uh, for Lewandowski, where this all stands is he's going to have to make a tough call. Bayern is going to have to make a tough call, but it is, it is a realistic possibility that Lewandowski could play out his career, his Bayern Munich career, play out this contract, uh, finish off his current deal, and then uh, maybe move on as a free transfer. And if that happens, I think there will be a big segment of the fan base that is annoyed that Bayern let another key player leave uh, on a free transfer. But I think in this case, what Lewandowski is worth in his performances and what he is potentially worth by generating revenue, by helping the team advance into the champions league. Uh, I just think it makes fiscal sense to, in this very limited instance, it makes sense to let him move forward. Um, and if the club can't work out an extension to let him walk away next summer uh, for free. So while that would be unfortunate, that looks like it's a, it's a possibility here. I do think, and I should say this before I end this segment, that I think that both sides want to work something out. It's just a matter of who's going to budge off of their stance. I think the most logical thing, if Lewandowski wants three years and Byron only wants to offer him a one-year extension, that somehow they work in either a flat two-year deal or one year with an, a player option that is based on incentives. So uh, or I should say a club option that is based on incentives. And I think that somewhere as this, these discussions go on and, and as um, you know, we see a million more rumors and as things start to come together, I think that's more of what we're going to see is that there'll be some kind of, of two-year extension built onto this, uh, whether it's a straight two years or a player option or sorry, a club option based on incentives. I'm such a moron sometimes. I think that's where this is all headed. So we'll keep following that. Hopefully these Barca rumors die down. It's been pretty exhausting to have to cover them and try and keep everyone up to date as to what we're hearing and what we're seeing. Uh, but, you know, we try and do our best to keep everyone informed. So as this story develops, everyone that reads BFW has the latest and greatest information. The third thing that we learned this week was maybe my favorite thing that we learned, and that's that Bayern Munich had extensive talks with Erling Haaland when the player was in Munich to receive medical treatment. In fact, Haaland had a, quote, hours-long conversation with Brazo at Brazo's residence, which, to me, I think this is a big deal because all we have seen publicly from Bayern of late is is basically our protective statements about Robert Lewandowski. Oh, we're not interested in Holland right now. The money's outrageous. We couldn't possibly compete for Holland. Okay. I get all that. And I get why the club has to do that. But I think when everyone looks at this, you have to understand that Bayern Munich has to put these kinds of statements out because if they said, yeah, we're, we're absolutely talking to Holland to see what we can work out. I think Lewandowski would check out at that point immediately <laughs> and make things very difficult on Bayern Munich moving forward. So Byron is trying to play both sides of the fence here. They're trying to maybe get another year out of Robert Lewandowski and see what, see what he can do. But I think they're also setting the stage for the future and seeing if Erling Haaland legitimately would consider playing at Bayern Munich. And if you've heard me throw my tinfoil hat on here for months, I believe firmly that Haaland wants to play for Bayern. I also believe that at some point in his career, he will play for Bayern. 
Will it be this summer? Will it be the following summer? Will it be two years from now? I, of course, have favored the scenario of Lewandowski getting a one-year extension to take him out two years, and then Holland signing with Man City for two years. And then after that, boom, Holland to Bayern Munich, natural succession plan. I look like a genius. Everyone praises me. You guys carry me out of Allianz Arena on your shoulders. Everyone's showering me with beer. And then you can praise me for how smart I am. Uh, That's not going to happen, obviously. (laughs) But uh, I I would be thrilled if it did, because I do think there is legitimate mutual interest from Bayern Munich's side and Erling Haaland's side in getting together and making this happen. I do think that Team Holland and not necessarily not necessarily the player himself is looking at this whole situation as a de cash out opportunity. I think everyone knows that Holland is going to be a highly paid player throughout his career, and I think the player himself is not necessarily worried about his salary. I legitimately get the vibe from Holland that he is a put his nose to the grind put his nose to the grindstone type player. He wants to keep his head down, focus on making his game more complete and becoming the best possible player that he can, while also hopefully getting his body better tuned for the rigors of footballing because he's been struggling with some nagging injuries. Um, But from his camp's standpoint, this is their opportunity to not just get that big salary for the player. They want to get all of these extra fees. So if you are Mino Raiola, which... You know, there were there was a lot of talk today, a lot of misinformation about his medical status, his health status, which, you know, we're not going to dive into because I'm recording this on a Thursday. And if that, uh, you know, I don't want to say anything that might be uh, out of date or out of turn. But, um, you know, Raiola has his own interests in getting a lot of money here. Holland's family, led by his father, they have interests in, in trying to cash out. This is the cash in opportunity for the boy. All right. This for his family and even for Dortmund, you know, they have the release clause. They're going to get a huge influx of cash. Everyone benefits from the kid moving on at this point. And mostly his agent, his family, they're going to be able to cash in because there will not be a a family clause or there will probably not be an agent clause built into this where those there are individual payments being made to his agent or to his family. I think this is it. I think the world is going to evolve past this. And that that this type of deal won't happen in the future for Holland, but I do think that he will get enough of a salary that on his next deal, it won't be as bad to take a step back. I'm not saying he's going to go from like 30 million to like 10 million. That's not going to happen. But what I'm saying is taking a step down from 30 to 25 or 30 to 23, something like that. He's going to be able to pick where he wants to play, and if you're if you're like me and you have a broken brain and you think that's Bayern Munich, then I think you can see how that would fit. There are many other people that are pointing to Leeds. Uh, Holland has, has talked at times in the past about his affinity for Leeds with his father having played there. We've also heard about his love of Spain and how Real Madrid and FC Barcelona are so appealing to him. And that all may be true. And maybe that happens down the line. But I think right now, there are only two ways this goes for Erling Holland. The most likely scenario is he goes to Man City signs a shorter term deal and then moves on to where he really wants to be after that. Or the real dark horse opportunity is that something behind the scenes is going on with Bayern Munich. They're trying to sort out how they could make it work with Holland and Lewandowski that Bayern would extend its budget 
maybe go into some debt to take on Holland and, and make this all work, or perhaps even Bayern Munich would consider letting Lewandowski go as soon as this summer, even though it seems very unlikely to generate some revenue to, to be able to pay for Holland's release clause. Either way, I think at some point Erling Holland will, will play for Bayern. I don't necessarily think it would be this year or even the year after, but I think all of these communications, these meetings, and some of the stuff that we've read about Holland and what we've read about Bayern Munich's interest in him over the past few months, I think it all does tie together and that there's legitimate interest from both sides and working together at some point, it just remains to be seen when that will happen. So that will be a lot of fun to, to follow. I think when, when Holland is going to Brazo's house and they're, they're talking for hours, I think it's more than just gauging interest. I think it's not about money. I think it's, it's about a plan, not just for how Holland would be used, but for where the club is heading and when potentially the club could, could invest in a player like him. So I'm going to have a lot of fun following that. And uh, I hope you guys do too, but you can wear your tinfoil hats with me as, as we continue our hopes that one day Holland will be wearing that famous red of Bayern Munich. The fourth thing we learned is that Bayern Munich has uh, a list of potential options uh, to take over at striker. Should something happen with, Robert Lewandowski. Um, And listen, a lot of this is speculation. What we have seen in the past is that, you know, we've heard names like Darwin Nunez and Patrick Schick, uh, you know, Sasha Kalajic, uh, Benjamin Sesko from Red Bull Salzburg. We've heard some of that, but for some other names that have popped up that we'll talk about now are uh, Sebastian Haller of Ajax, Luka Jovic of Real Madrid, uh, Romelu Lukaku of Chelsea, who I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole, considering he went to the Champions League winners and made them worse. Uh, and Raul Jimenez from Wolverhampton. Okay, so let's just start at the top here. The The biggest thing that we heard this week is this rejuvenated interest in Sebastian Haller. Now, Haller was linked to Bayern Munich a couple of years ago, just like Luka Jovic was. In fact, both of those players were with Eintracht Frankfurt Frankfurt, when they were originally linked to Bayern Munich. I think it was back in 2018 or 2019. Both players have obviously have talent. Both players have a lot going for them. Haller has has really taken the bull by the horns. He didn't move to a club like FC Barcelona or Real Madrid. He went to the Premier League and started to work his way up from there. And I think if you look at at him, just his physical tool set. He's a big, strong guy. Um, you know, when he moved to West Ham, I think there was a lot. Um, I think there was a lot of doubt about how he would handle that. And he didn't go and light the world on fire. And in fact, it's probably why he eventually moved to Ajax. Um, you know, but he's a player who's developing. And at 27, he's he's at his prime. Now, if I were to assess Haller, I would say he is a very good player. I would say he is a Bundesliga quality striker for sure. Is he a Bayern Munich quality striker? I, I just don't see it at this point. And, and I do like him as a player. In fact, I've, I've written about this. Like when I saw Frankfurt play the union in Chester PA, Haller was, was one of the key players of that match, mostly because it was a world cup year and Haller was one of the few really good players to make the trip over to the United States from Germany. So Haller showed a lot of things, not just in that match, but throughout his career, the skill, the nose for the goal, 
the ability to, to be a handful for players in the box. I mean, he is a big target standing at six foot three, 1.9 meters. I mean, this is a, a big guy. He's a strong guy. He offers a lot. I just don't think that he is Bayern Munich material. Now for Jovic, he was very closely linked to Bayern Munich back just a couple of years ago, but his career has really hit a downward spiral going to Real Madrid. I think you could say it was way too much too soon for him. He had a, just a fantastic 2018-2019 season with Eintracht Frankfurt, but then moving to Real Madrid the next season, I think it was too much. He, he In no way was he ready to really unseat Kareem Benzema. And of course, Benzema was going through some off-the-field issues at that point. But Jovic wasn't quite ready there, has, has not been able to break into Real Madrid's lineup under any of the coaches that they've had. Um, unfortunately, he's also dealt with some off-the-field decision-making that has hurt him, including some COVID-19 traveling issues when he wasn't supposed to be traveling. So the kid hasn't really done his part at Real Madrid either. He's very talented. But again, at this point, I think if you're looking, if you had to replace Lewandowski, you're not looking at Haller or Jovic right now. I mean, they, they, you know, potentially maybe two years, you would know if Haller can handle it. You would know if Jovic has found his magic. But I don't know if those are really, you know, those are options that are going to excite the fan base or if those are options that, would legitimately keep Bayern as a top tier, you know, top echelon team in the world. And I'd say the same thing about Darwin Nunez, again, a kid with such great potential, but is he ready for the big stage? Patrick Schick, same deal. Aside from the fact that those two players, Nunez and Schick, would be extremely expensive, it just remains to be seen whether they can do it consistently at a club like Bayern Munich. Sasha, Sasha Kalajic has had some injury issues and has, has not been consistent enough for my liking. I don't know enough about Raul Jimenez. Uh, you know, there's talent there, but again, I, I go back to this stage and what it's like to step up onto this big stage at the Allianz Arena and perform consistently. Can they do that? The two names, in fact, that if if aside of Holland, who would be my top choice no matter what. The two names that I would think about if Lewandowski, somehow everything fell apart and he had to leave this summer. The two names I think about are Timo Werner from Chelsea. And I'd be a big shock. I, I get it. And Benjamin Sesko from Red Bull Salzburg. So for Werner, let's just go with the basics. He's already had excellent form under Julian Nagelsmann. He knows the system. He knows how to utilize the space in the system. And he has been extremely adept at being successful in the system. And if Byron is going to transition to what amounts to a 3-4-2-1 or a 3-4-3, Werner is a player whose speed and ability to beat defenders, is that's just something that will work. And is he a like-for-like replacement for Lewandowski? No. But with the way Nagelsmann thinks and how he fits and uses his players, it would not be shocking to see him have three interchangeable forwards with no real designated striker. Uh, really filling those top three spots in the formation. So for my money, uh, Werner, depending on what he would cost, and I would have to think that Chelsea would be willing to sell given they're going to have new ownership and they just have a glut of forwards. I think Werner could be got, gotten at an attainable price. So like I said, this is all if Robert Lewandowski, somehow things fall apart and he has to leave. The other name is Benjamin Sesko. Now Sesko is, is, is extremely interesting to me for a couple of reasons. One, he's got the size. He's just about 6'4". He still needs to fill out a little bit body-wise and get a little stronger, but he's got that natural height. And he's got top-end speed. 
just last season, he was, he was clocked in at 36.1 kilometers an hour, which is incredibly fast and was just behind Kylian Mbappe. So this is a guy who, who's got the physical tool set right now to develop in that, into that kind of player. And if you're not getting an established, no doubt striker, you want to look at someone who might be a little bit afford, more affordable like Sesco, someone who could develop into the next generation of Holland or Lewandowski. So uh, with Sesco, I think that that's a name that I, that, that Bayern Munich fans should really keep an eye on. I mean, at 18, he's still so young, still so attainable um, that this is, this is the kind of player that I think whether Lewandowski re-ups his deal, whether he leaves or whether, you know, he, he gets a, a one-year extension, that's the kind of player I think Byron is going to be looking at. And he could, Sesco could be the kind of player that comes in and is able to fill the void and develop. So Werner and Sesco, if you can't get Holland and Lewandowski is going to leave, those are the two players I would look at. Uh, I'm an idiot. So what's that tell you? But <laughs> when I look at the situation, that's just, uh, that's just what I think. And uh, I think he could do a lot worse than Werner and his, his proven track record under Nagelsmann and Sesco just because of his great physical tool set and his potential. <sighs> and the last thing I'm going to talk about this week, and, and this is, um, you know, I could have went a million different directions this week. You know, we have Tangai Nianzu kind of being the rope in a tug of war between Julian Nagelsmann and Brazo. That's, that's a whole separate subject. We could do a whole podcast on that. It's got so many Hansi Flick overtones to that relationship that, um, you know, it, that's, a, that's going to be fascinating to watch play out in and of itself. But the piece I wanted to look at for my final thing that we learned this week is that Kevin, or I'm sorry, Nico Schlotterbeck, uh, has the reports that have surfaced once again that he has agreed to a deal with Borussia Dortmund. Now, we saw initial reports stating that, that the deal was done. Then we saw Schlotterbeck come out and say, whoa, 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 wait up, wait up. I haven't committed to anything. Now, whether you believe Schlotterbeck or not, it's a pretty much a terrible time in the season for SC Freiburg to have this kind of news come out. So you could go one way and say that it's not true and Schlotterbeck just, you know, he's probably leaving, but he hasn't agreed to anything yet. Or you could say that he did a little bit of damage control after the news leaked and he had to really come out and, and, and deny things so that his team wasn't going to be unfocused and not ready for its own stretch run of the season where the club is trying like hell to qualify for the champions league. So Schlotterbeck, you know, in my mind, if I'm looking at this story, I think that he has agreed to a deal with Borussia Dortmund, but why this is so fascinating is that over the course of time, Bayern Munich was rumored to have its eye on Schlotterbeck, but we had started to see reports leak that, Schlotterbeck wasn't quite at the level that Byron wanted, that they were looking for someone with a little bit more of a track, proven track record with a little bit more experience. And we started to see players like Andreas Christensen and Antonio Rudiger and Gleison Bremer and other players start to be more heavily linked to Bayern Munich than Nico Schlotterbeck. In fact, Matthias Ginter was yet another player who was rumored to be very close to a deal with Bayern Munich. But with Nicholas Sewell leaving, Christensen looking like he's going to FC Barcelona and Byron seemingly ready to invest into Nusar Mizrahi and a, a nice salary into him. And then potentially a transfer fee and a salary into Ryan Gravenberch. Um, it really does seem like 
getting a center back this summer wasn't going to work, but Bayern Munich apparently made, did make a last ditch effort to Schlotterbeck. Now Schlotterbeck has talked openly about being ready to leave SC Freiburg to take on the challenge of a new club, but he has also really hammered home the fact that he would like to stay in Germany, play in the Bundesliga and, and really develop as a Germany international close to home. And I think it's a really novel concept. I think it's a great idea for a player like him. And I think he has shown enough to warrant consideration and uh, interest from big clubs in Germany, like say Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund or RB Leipzig, right? When Schlotterbeck quote unquote agreed to this deal with with Borussia Dortmund. Bayern Munich allegedly came in after the fact, tried to hit him with a last ditch effort to convince him, but Schlotterbeck wanted to be a man of his word and stick with the verbal agreement he has with Borussia Dortmund. So that's essentially in a nutshell what the story is. And, you know, immediately people, they dismiss it and say it's nonsense. You know, Schlotterbeck already said he hasn't agreed to anything. And Bayern has suddenly gotten back into the market for a center back. These all could be intertwined. Um, you know, I tend to actually believe this report because I do think that Schlotterbeck made it clear he was ready to move on. I do think Borussia Dortmund realizes it needed to revamp its defense. I mean, did you see them against Bayern Munich a couple of weeks back? They were a total mess. Zagadou, uh, Kanji, I just thought they were not good. Emery Chan, they, they were not good on the day. So, um, you know, and that's with a, a very aging Mats Hummels still like not ready to play. Uh, Dortmund needs help defensively bringing in players like Nicholas Sula and Nico Schlotterbeck. I mean, hell that, that could be, uh, you know, two starting caliber players for the German national team working together for the next four to five years at Dortmund. I think it was a very smart move if true for Dortmund to get both Sula and Schlotterbeck. And I think it makes sense for the player as well. Why it was interesting to me is because I think Bayern Munich throughout this process thought it was going to be able to convince some of these bigger name free transfers to join the club, whether it was Christensen or Rudiger or someone else. Bayern has been unlucky in that respect. To look at a player like Lyson Bremer and think you might have to pay as much as 50 million euro for him, that doesn't make sense to anyone, uh, especially when Bayern has so heavily invested in the position that even with Sula leaving, they have Luca Hernandez, they have Daya Upamakano, they have Benjamin Pavar, they have Tangai Nianzu, and even on loan, they have Chris Richards and Lars Lucas Mai. You know, we know that Mai is probably on his way out of Bayern Munich, and Richards, his question, his career is questionable right now because we really don't know what Bayern envisions for him. But there's talent there. There's a base of center backs. So um, to think that that Bayern Munich was going to be to be able to go out and get a free transfer. And, and with how heavily they allegedly pursued this, you would think that even they realized that maybe losing Sula was going to hurt more than they first envisioned. Um, so the fact that they are, are now scrambling and looking to get in the mix for a center back, I'm not shocked by that, but I do think that Brazo or whoever floated that call to Schlotterbeck and tried to convince him that maybe Bayern Munich would be the way to go. And allegedly Bayern made a better offer to Schlotterbeck than what Dortmund will pay him. I think it shows a lot about a couple of things that, that Bayern one is concerned about the future of the position. And if you've heard me before, 
I've said I'm not so sure that Luca Hernandez is going to stick around after his contract ends in 2024. I think there are a lot of reasons to doubt Nianzu at this point. Uh, while he has great potential, I think he's been a mess in some respects. Pavar is making that switch back to center back. He's looked good so far in the position, but Pavar's performance overall during his Byron tenure has been up and down. And, you know, you, you have, you know, other options like Richards, who I think is an immense talent, but it seems like Byron might be ready to move on from him. Um, Upa Makano, he was picked up this year. Again, roller coaster ride. Maybe if you look at him from a squad planning perspective, you might think he's a starting caliber player, but maybe he's not what you thought he was when you acquired him. I think you acquired him to be the boss, and I don't think he's that caliber of player yet whether he evolves into that remains to be seen but there are some reasons to question what the future looks like along the back line I think Bayern Munich by now has realized it and I think that's why they reached out to Schlotterbeck in a little bit of desperation to try and convince him that that maybe he had a future um, and, and I'm going to state it on the record again I, I do think there there is major doubt about what Hernandez is going to do at the end of his contract. And I know that this club has a while before that happens, but, you know, looking at that defensive core right now, do you trust many people aside of Hernandez? And it'd be tough to give an unequivocal bowl. Yes. I think there are definitely doubts about Upa Meccano, definitely doubts about Nianzu. Pavar has potential, but again, if you just base your opinion on his performances, he's been a bit up and down. And I've been, way more supportive of Pavar than I think a lot of people, some Byron fans are completely done with him. I think he can make this move to center back and be successful, but it's really going to be up to him to control his performances and get up to the level that he needs to. So um, let's keep an eye on that, see where Schlotterbeck eventually ends up, which of course will be Borussia Dortmund most likely. We'll see how it gets announced and if any other stories leak out about how that all went down. The last non-football thing that I'll hit on again was the second episode of Better Call Saul, which was fantastic. I will, compl- I'm completely all in on this. Uh, I hope you guys are too. If you're watching, do me a favor, drop me some comments uh, in, in the comment section of this post. Yeah, you like how I phrase that? Real f- freaking articulate. Uh, <laughs> wow, I almost slipped up there, huh? You almost got the true me coming out not the me that's on my, um, but yeah, I'm totally enjoying it. I want to see how you guys are liking it. Uh, I know there's a big segment of BFW that were breaking bad fans. A lot of them moved over to better call Saul to, to kind of follow that story. And uh, you know, I've been all in on it. It's been great through the first couple of episodes here and I will continue to be watching. I don't like to do the spoiler things. I know everybody's watching, at their own rate. So I won't dive into the plot, but again, there there were some major events that happened this week. Uh, Just a really tremendous show. And uh, as I said, I'm really enjoying it. So, Hey, thanks for listening. Enjoy the Mainz game this weekend. Check out our preview. That's already been posted. Um, Of course, I think Bayern Munich is going to pull out a win no matter who plays, but the game should be a lot of fun for a lot of reasons, mostly because people want to watch the young kids. They want to watch Nagelsmann, how he handles this whole thing. And I think it's just at the time where you can just sit back and enjoy it and not really have to worry about the results. So uh, it should be a good one for everyone. Uh, thank you again for listening. As always, you can get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get Tom at Tommy Adams 71 You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Samarin and Schnitzel on our site. 
you can always get Jake at Jefferson Fenner. So enjoy the weekend, have a couple of beers on me and we will see you next time.